Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, Michael Kingswood back with story time. And this time we're pre-recorded from D.C. Because I've been continuing my travels. I was in Vegas, and I was in Philly. Now I'm in D.C. because this weekend was class reunion, high school reunion weekend. And of course I had to go down and so I had a focus I hadn't seen in a long time and see the old stomping grounds and things changed around here a little bit. Uh, it's been well over 10 years since I last foot in the, set foot in the D.C. area. And yeah, kind of reminds me why I don't want to set foot here again. <laughs> that having said, I'm going to get one back this afternoon to California, which, well, not really a fan of California either. So, hey, <laughs> I guess the life is good in that sense. Um, hey, last time we met, we finished up the Necromancer's Lair. And i uh, going to start a new novella for you today. Well, it's not really new. It's really old. I think I wrote this one back in 2011. Um, so pretty early in my writing uh, endeavors. I still like it, though. I still think it's got some good, uh, good stuff to it. Although, obviously, as you go on through the years your writing improves and you can see all the things you could have done better but uh couldn't have done any better at the time and i still think it's a fun story hopefully you will too it's called the champion it's about a guy who uh when he was a kid had a bunch of funky dreams and it ended up that hey some of those dreams were actually real and he's gonna be caught up in the eternal galactic struggle between light and darkness and yeah all that kind of good stuff um Hopefully you like it. If you do, you'll know what to do. If you don't, uh, I guess you can come complain to me or try for the next story. But uh, <laughs> probably draw this one out over the next three or four weeks as well because it's about the same length as Necromancer's Lair. And uh, yeah, this hope we'll get started here. Hope you enjoy it. Talk to you on the flip side. The Champion, written by me, read by me. And again, as always, I apologize because I am not a professional voice actor. Part 1 When I was little, I had a recurring dream where I became weightless and floated up from my bed. I would always cringe as the ceiling approached, expecting a painful impact, but instead, I simply penetrated the ceiling, then the roof above, and floated up into the night sky. I wafted on the breeze, rising higher until I passed the top of the great elm tree in our front yard. I always felt a giddy sensation as the whole neighborhood spread out beneath me like the maps in the atlas I kept in my room. All those houses, so large and sprawling on the ground, became tiny as the models in an electric train set, making me giggle with glee. As I floated higher, the breeze became a blowing wind that carried me swiftly away to the south. My house vanished before long, leaving me with a vague feeling of unease, but that feeling was quickly swept away by the sheer exhilaration of flight. I zoomed through the air, rising higher and faster towards the heavens. The stars grew brighter as I left the lights of human settlements behind, filling my gaze with billions of little point points of light. 
Somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew I should be getting cold as I got higher. Wasn't that why tall mountains had snow on them? But instead, all I felt was a pleasant, soothing warmth flowing through my limbs, despite the fact that I was wearing only light pajamas. Higher still, I ascended, and a single star, blue-white and brighter than the others, grabbed my attention. Brighter and brighter it grew, and it almost seemed to be moving toward me. Or maybe it was just that I was by then moving so quickly that it just looked that way. Regardless, the star soon filled my vision completely, and I wondered how I could still see. Then, a great flash of blue light, and the sky disappeared, and I found myself in a small, pleasant room. A fireplace crackled in the corner, lending light, heat, and the cheerful odor of wood smoke to the place. Opposite the fireplace was a small window with drapes that were decorated with airplanes and rocket ships. The window looked out onto a grassy field with a brilliant collection of stars overhead. There was a narrow door on one wall, the room's only exit besides the window. A pair of rocking chairs with quilted cushions stood facing the fireplace, a small end table between them. Two megs of hot, steaming liquid sat on the table. The chair on the left was occupied, an old man, wispy gray hair hanging over his brows and a broad gray mustache above his lips, rocked slowly in the chair, making a soft creaking noise each time the chair leaned backward. He was dressed in an old-fashioned brown tweed jacket, the kind with pads on the elbows and matching pants. His shirt was off-white and buttoned all the way up to the collar where he wore a brown and yellow bow tie. It would always take him a minute or so to notice me. When he did, he smiled the warm and welcoming smile of a man who has seen a dear old friend and gestured for me to join him on the other rocking chair. I did, and I helped myself to one of the steaming cups without waiting to be asked. It was set out there for me, after all. Hot chocolate with marshmallows. My favorite. We rocked in silence for a time, just watching the fire slowly consume the logs in the fireplace and sipping on the hot chocolate. It was so pleasant, I found myself thinking how easy it would be just to fall asleep there. How soothing it would be. Then I would remind myself I was already asleep and this was just a dream. And always then, the old man would laugh and turn to look me in the eye. Of course it's a dream, Timothy, he said and winked. But if you're going to dream, it might as well have hot chocolate in it, hmm? I giggled in response and he leaned over in his chair. When he came back up, he had a picture book in his hands. Would you like to hear a story? I nodded and he opened the book. It was always a different story, but with a theme I recognized and loved. The evil king captured the helpless princess. Or was it a prince? Or a mystical artifact? Or a book of learning? It was always different, but always a brave knight rode to the rescue, defeating the evil king and saving the day. The story has always left me feeling excited, but also confused. Who was the evil king? And why could the knight never fully defeat him? He always rode to the rescue, but the king always returned to do more dastardly deeds later. When I asked, the old man simply shrugged, Inside a bit sadly, he has allies, he said, knuckling his mustache softly. As long as there are people of ill will, the king cannot be beaten forever. He can be driven off, made lay low for a while, but never truly defeated. He perked up then, looking back at me, and cuffed me on the shoulder playfully, which is why we will always need brave knights to face him. We wouldn't want him to win, would we? I chuckled and said no, then finished off the last of my hot chocolate and set the mug down on the table. The old man nodded and closed the book. Well, he'd best run home now. I did not want to go, but I knew he was right, so I stood up. That was usually when I woke up in my own bed. One time, the old man seemed troubled. He finished the story, then sat in silence, his eyes distant as he stared into the flames. 
After a time, I decided it was time for me to leave, so I stood and went to the door. I reached out my hands to the doorknob, but flinched away when the old man's voice barked out behind me. No! I turned around and found him standing straight up, no longer slouching. He was tall, taller than I thought from seeing him in the chair. His lips were drawn back in his scowl, his eyes dark with power. He frightened me for a moment, but he must have seen it in my face, because his scowl faded quickly, replaced by a gentle smile, and his eyes turned their usual pale blue color. He stepped over to me, placed his hands on my shoulders, and gave them a gentle squeeze. You are not ready to go through that door, he said, his voice kind. Maybe someday. Lord willing, perhaps you will never have to. Then he smiled more broadly, whatever care he had earlier seeming to evaporate. Go and rest, young knight, until we meet again. But we never did. I never dreamed those dreams again after that night. On occasion, I would feel their lack and wonder why the dreams never returned. Of all my childhood dreams, those were the only ones I could remember with any consistency. And I cannot recall any others where I knew I was dreaming either. It did not seem right that they should just stop. But they did and did not take long before the normal rigors of life brought different dreams at night and during the day as well. I went to school, got a girlfriend, graduated, moved on to college, got a different girlfriend, changed majors three times and girlfriends five times, and finally settled into a career that I enjoyed, designing and building houses for a prominent architecture firm. Life was good. I was successful at my job and the money flowed well. I was healthy, got to travel a lot. I had a girl I was serious about. There was nothing to complain about and everything to be happy about. Until that faithful day, a month before my 30th birthday. We had just adjourned from a meeting with the firm's biggest client. I'd labored day and night for weeks to get the designs to match his exacting requirements. Each meeting before had ended in page after page of changes to make making me wonder if I would ever see the end of it. But now he'd finally signed off on the final design and given the go-ahead to begin construction. Walking back to my office, it was like a weight had been lifted from my shoulders. I keep a bottle of scotch in the bureau behind my drafting desk just for this sort of occasion. Jim, my immediate superior at the firm, and I had just poured ourselves two fingers each when Helen, my admin, stuck her head in. Tim, there's a Mr. Bartleby here to see you, she said. He says he's an old friend of yours. I blinked and looked at Helen in confusion. Bartleby? I could not remember ever meeting a Bartleby. I opened my mouth to tell her to make an appointment for later, but Jim meet me to the punch. I'll get out of here so you two can catch up, he said, draining his glass in a quick gulp. Great work, Ace. I grimaced. Ace was a sort of nickname that senior management at the firm had for me. It made me uncomfortable, but they seemed to enjoy using it, so I did not have the heart to ask them to stop. Thanks, I managed. Jim clapped me on the arm and left the office nodding to Helen as he walked past her. She rolled her eyes at his back and smirked, then looked back at me. I'll show him in, she said, and backed out of the office. I sighed and took a quick drink, then turned and tucked the glass behind one of the pictures on top of the bureau. Whoever this Bartleby was, he had cojones to come here, claiming to be my friend. He was probably some high roller with delusions of grandeur who did not want to wait to get on my schedule. Regardless, it would not do for a potential client to see me drinking in the office during working hours. The office door swung open again, and this time my back was turned, and Helen said, Mr. Bottleby, sir. The door shut, and I heard the man take a couple steps toward the chairs I used for receiving clients. I squared my shoulders and turned around. Look, Mr. Bottleby, I don't know who you... The words caught in my mouth as I beheld him. He was tall. I'm not a short guy by any measure, but he had me a beat by at least two or three inches. He wore a navy blue pinstripe suit that was obviously tailor-made, probably from expensive silk and a blue and red power tie, but it was his face that stopped me cold. 
pale blue eyes below bushy gray brows, a wide gray mustache over a broad mouth that seemed to want to curl up into a smile at any moment, and wispy gray hair that hung to just below his brows. Hello, young knight, he said. His voice was like a key turning in a lock. Memories rushed back, every one of those strange dreams from my childhood surging to the forefront in a rush. My jaw dropped, and I stumbled backwards a step. Who? I began, then stopped and swallowed. How? The old man chuckled and said his briefcase. I had not even realized he was carrying one onto my drafting desk. I realized we were not properly introduced before. Bartleby, he said. Cornelius Bartleby. He flicked open the latches of his briefcase and opened it. Reaching aside, he withdrew a weathered picture book, then looked up at me. Would you like to hear a story? What the hell was this? My mind raced, trying to come to terms with it. It was a joke. That was it. Did Jeremy put you up to this? It's not funny. Jeremy was my oldest friend. I had known him since we were both in first grade, and he was the only one I ever told about the dreams. It would just be like him to pull this kind of prank as a pre-birthday gag. Bartleby's eyebrows quirked upward. I know a Jeremy, young knight, but he is eight years old in Nottingham, England. Don't call me that, I snapped. Who the hell are you? Bartleby shook his head slowly and crapped open the book. Once upon a time, there was a... I cut him off with a snarl. Shut up! I don't want to hear your bloody story. You need to leave. Now. Bartleby sighed, closed the book, then looked up at me with earnest eyes. I'm afraid I can't do that, Timothy. Would you mind having a seat so I can explain? He gestured toward the chairs on the far side of my office. I thought of having Helen call security, but looking Bartleby in the eye gave me pause. There was no malice there, just a sort of kind warmth overlaying a deeper tension, almost like he was deathly afraid of something. I swallowed again then, against my better judgment, nodded, and waved him toward the chair. He smiled slightly and turned to sit. I followed him, but paused to pick up my scotch from behind the picture. To hell with propriety, I really needed that drink. Make it fast, I said after taking another sip. I've got an appointment in half an hour, and my butt hit the chair, and I lost my train of thought in shock. The glass tumbled from my hand and fell to the floor, somehow not shattering as it struck the hardwood floor with a dull thud. I did not have hardwood floors in my office. My chair, a comfortable leather unit, was not the chair I landed in. I could feel hard slats on my back and arms. They were thin, made of wood. Looking down, the rest of the chair was wooden as well. The seat was covered in a quilted cushion, and I knew without looking that the legs ended on long wooden rockers. Directly in front of me, the fire crackled and popped in the fireplace, as it always did, and the narrow door stood closed off to the right. Almost dreading to do it, I turned my head to the left, slowly, and saw Bartleby sitting in his rocking chair next to me, a twinkle in his eye and a wry smile on his lips. I thought a more familiar setting might make the conversation go more smoothly, he said. Gesturing toward the table between us, he added, I'm afraid I don't have any scotch, but would you like some hot chocolate? Dazed, I nodded slowly. My hand trembled as I took the steaming cup closest to me on the table. My rational mind shouted in denial of what was happening, but the rich flavor of the chocolate touching my tongue overpowered that thought. It could not be, but at the same time, I could not deny that this was real. What is this place? I said as I lowered the mug from my lips. I was amazed I did not stammer. Between worlds, Bartleby said before taking a sip himself. Here I meet with champions and potentials in safety and privacy, so the enemy does not know of them before they are ready for their burden. Champions? Potentials? What was he talking about? He must have seen the confusion on my face because he sniffed softly and spoke again. 
Shakespeare was more correct than he knew. There are more things in heaven and earth than you ever dreamt of, young knight. But in the end, all things serve either the light or the dark. The balance between the two is what keeps the universe in motion and makes life possible. But from time to time, the dark will rise up and attempt to disrupt that balance. When that happens, the light selects a champion whose task it is to restore the universe to the way it should be. He tapped his index finger on the storybook he still held on his lap. The knight, I said, and he nodded. So the storybooks are the records of the exploits of previous champions, yes. Bartleby smiled again and nodded in approval. You are quick, quicker than many of your brothers. I felt my eyebrows quirking upward and shook my head. I don't have any brothers or sisters. Ah, but you do, young knight. Not physical siblings, to be sure, but spiritual ones. Again, he tapped the storybook. I got a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. What do you mean? Bartleby turned his head away and focused on the flames. He sat in silence long enough that I almost stood up to wave a hand in front of his face. He chuckled softly. That will not be necessary, young knight. I am quite well. His words were like being punched in the gut. I felt my eyes bulging and I realized I was clenching my hands on the arms of the rocking chair. Bartleby, seemingly oblivious to the effect his words had on me, continued. Every generation is a continuation of the struggle between light and dark, young knight. And came remake the universe as it sees fit. Because of that, both sides watch the incoming generations with interest and seek out potential champions. Through their dreams, Bartleby nodded again. Think of it as a spiritual radio wave. Those who have the ability to hear and who are inclined toward the light Join me here for instruction and guidance, so when the time comes, they may make their choice knowledgeably. So you work for God. What are you, some kind of angel? Bartleby snorted slightly and smirked. That is a gross simplification, but if it helps you to think in such terms, then yes, I work for God. I groaned and leaned back in my rocking chair. This was all coming a bit too quickly. I took a deep gulp of the hot chocolate and swallowed. Warmth flowed into me from the liquid, but also a feeling of well-being. My stress lessened until it was almost gone completely. Peering into the mug, I murmured, that's good stuff. Bartleby chuckled softly, but did not say anything. We sat in silence while I nursed the mug and my thoughts. I expected to wake up at any moment, and even pinch myself to hurry it up. No dice, though. I was definitely awake. Crap. I suppose you're going to tell me now that I'm destined to be the brave knight from the storybooks and that you have a mission for me. Bartleby shook his head briskly. There is no destiny, only choice. The last champion countered the Dark's Gambit so effectively that I hoped there would be a generation or more before it tried again. That is why you haven't seen me in so long. He sighed and lowered his gaze. I was mistaken. So now I offer the choice to take up the emblem of light to the potentials in your generation. What do you mean, potentials? I looked around the room again to be sure I was not imagining things. No, I was alone, so where were the others? Um, uh, Mr. Bartleby. Just Bartleby, please. Or Cornelius, if you prefer. Okay, well, there's no one else here, I said. Where are all the others? He sniffed again and stood. They all refused. Wait, what? They all refused? I'm the last one you approached? He nodded. Great. I was the last kid picked for the ball team. Been years since I experienced that bit of humiliation. I forgot how much it sucked. How many others were there? Maybe it was not as bad as I thought. 
438. Wow. Way to make a guy feel good about himself. Without looking at me, Bartleby strode over to the door and stopped. I once said you were not ready to pass through this door, but that you might someday. This is that day. He looked back over his shoulder at me. Will you come? I looked from his face to the door. I had seen it many times before, and it was always plain. Painted cream with a simple chrome doorknob. Now, looking at it more closely, there were designs carved or painted into it. Subtle designs, easy to miss. Stars, planets, people, animals, flowing water. I blinked my eyes and the designs faded, only to reappear after a moment of staring at the door. It reminded me of those annoying dot paintings that supposedly contained images that if you looked at just long enough, or from the right angle, you'd see them. I once spent most of an afternoon at a picture in my local mall trying to pick out the image of a sailboat from one of those paintings, and I never succeeded. I had no trouble picking it out this time, though. I was already a bit spooked, but looking at that door suddenly gave me the willies. I swallowed again. What's in there? The universe, Bartleby replied simply. He reached into his pocket and withdrew a keychain holding a number of small silver keys. He inserted one into the locking mechanism in the doorknob. There was a loud click, louder than a lock that size should have made, and the door quivered slightly in its frame, almost as if it were made of canvas and a brisk breeze had just passed over it. Bartleby took hold of the doorknob and twisted. The door came unlashed and opened smoothly inward. Starlight streamed in through the door, and more than starlight. Awed, I found myself standing and walking over to stand next to Bartleby, my mug forgotten on the table. There was nothing but space beyond the door frame, and when I say space, I mean space. Stars gleamed everywhere, billions, trillions of them. A reddish nebula glowed above us and to the left. Straight ahead, a bluish cluster of stars gleamed brighter than the others. Off to the right, I could see a yellow-orange sun, with a system of six planets revolving around it. Not far past that, a larger greenish-white star mothered its own small system of planets. As I watched, it became obvious that the stars were a loosely bound binary pair, and they were revolving slowly around each other as well. My God, I breathed, and I took a half-step forward, wanting to see more. Bartleby's hand on my shoulder stopped me. Be careful, young knight. Do not wander too far. As you are now, without my protection, you would quickly perish beyond this doorway. I nodded, not needing to ask him how. Then why are you showing me this? If you are to become the light's champion, you must first see and understand the nature of the struggle. Otherwise, you cannot do what needs to be done. I nodded again. So if I go with you out there, I gestured toward the starscape beyond the door. I'm committed? Only to learning, Bartleby replied. Once you've seen all that I must show you, you'll be free to accept the burden, or not. Except that he had already said there was no one else to do it. I could say no. But if the forces of darkness, or whatever, were really gathering up and there was no one to stop them, it would probably mean Armageddon or something. It wasn't much of a choice. I drew a deep breath and smoothed back my hair, which must have been standing on end as jittery as I felt. All right, I said. Let's go. From the corner of my eye, I saw Bartleby smile. Then he took my hand and stepped forward through the door. All right, so that'll do it for the first part of the story. Um, ran out of time to record in D.C., and so I'm finishing up this uh, podcast at my friend's place in Vegas. I uh, flew back to Vegas because I drove up here for the workshop, and I got to get my car and drive back down to San Diego. So it's going to be a late night because it's now Sunday evening, but uh, that's okay. And, of course, my buddy's house here has tile floors and bare walls because he hasn't put much up yet. Long story about that. So it's a little echoey, I'm sure you can tell. Um, Anyway, so let me know what you think of this first part. 
If you like it or not, come by the website, michaelkingswood.com. Drop me an email through the contact form. You can leave comments on YouTube or on the podcast or wherever else you see it. Let me know. If you like it and really can't stand waiting in a week to find out what happens next, go buy a copy. I love you a long time. Um, you know the deal there. SSN Storytelling is more money for me, but you can find it anywhere ebooks are sold. Um, and we'll go from there. That's all I got. I'll leave you with that. Uh, hope you had a good time, and I'll talk to you later. Don't do anything I wouldn't do between now and then. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zoggy, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>